Hello and welcome to A Day Of, a podcast about Biffy Clyro. My name is Simon Dowling. So this is it. The beginning of the end. Opus 8, aka A Celebration of Endings. The album title that, I'm not going to lie, I thought meant the end for the band. But no, just happens to be the end of the podcast so far. Unlike the last few albums, we've not been graced with a making of documentary for this album, so I've just had to kind of piece together bits from interviews and a variety of different sources. What am I, a journalist? Someone who actually researches this? No, well, a little of column B, not much of column A. Recorded at a number of different studios, Lotus Easter in Santa Monica, United in LA, strings and overdubs were done at Abbey Road, and then Rack and Rockstone, also in London, the approach seems to be different. Whereas Ellipsis was a a reaction to the cinematic trilogy that preceded it, thus stripping back the way a Biffy album was made and starting afresh, A Celebration of Endings appears to be a reaction to that reaction. It's, It's, well way more of a Biffy Clyro album than I was expecting. There are still additional songwriters here, although just Steve Mack, an incredibly prolific pop songwriter, particularly he had a big career with Westlife, and he co-wrote Shape of You with Ed Sheeran, kind of as evidenced by, like, Instant History. Steve worked on Instant History, but also Spaced. Um, Amar Malik of Moves Like Jagger fame also worked on Instant History. The strings were arranged by Rob Mathis, who has recently worked with Weezer on the kind of orchestral album OK Human, and then he also did Panic at the Disco and a few others. The strings were what was recorded at Abbey Road in Room 2, which I think is that Beatles piano room it gets called. Rich Costi was back on production, although I feel his influence a little bit less here, but maybe that's just the songwriting shining through a bit more. There are definitely more Costi-like moments with the layering and stuff, but... Simon has said that he allowed for more experimentation in the studio on Ellipsis, but here he needed to find the balance of experimentation, but also being a three-piece rock band. And, And he got more from what he wanted the album to be, rather than allowing Rich to produce the album Rich wanted to produce. You know, as he said, they're a three-piece rock band, and that's demonstrated much more on here than it was on Ellipsis. The artwork was designed by Thomas Robson, and the collaboration is accompanied by this strapline. Haute culture, low art, a new class of suave and glorious images essaying a synergy of destructive creation. Okay, uh, judging by the features on his website, he also worked on the video for Instant History, with it being the lead single to kind of set the patina for what the album design looked like. Thematically, A Celebration of Endings, to me, has a few different modes. Firstly, it is political. The first two songs off the bat very much outline a point of view on recent politics that, well, I, I agree with. Secondly, it is personal. Biffy were, well, abandoned, betrayed, stiffed, delete as necessary by a long-standing member of their team. A 20-odd-year uh, relationship, working relationship, was thrown away. They've not named that person, so I'm not going to name them, but I think if if you're interested at all in Biffy Clyro and particularly their history, then you will know who it is. Thirdly, 
aggression. But not the animalistic aggression that's covered on ellipsis. I guess it's one that's accompanied by the first two reasons. A fiery, reactive anger to personal and political situations. There are some incredible uses of swear words on this album. But first, let's get started on the politics. North of No South is a song about Scottish independence, and namely disappointment in the no vote in 2014 and what that means for Scotland politically with the absolute bullshit we've handed them since. Scotland have never voted Tory, yet have a Tory government. I mean, neither have I, but that's more thematic. I am pro-Scottish independence, despite the fact that it would royally fuck England's chances of ever being able to escape a draconian Tory party, but, you know, because I believe that the millions of people in Scotland being ignored by the the first-past-the-post system means that either dismantling first-past-the-post or independence are their only viable routes, and sadly, I think independence is more realistic. There's more of a thirst for that. People you know, were given the opportunity to scrap first past the post in, I think, 2011, and nobody voted. Maybe that would change now, but, you know, independence is still very much on a lot of people's minds. I mean, lyrically, there's nothing below them, above them is darkness. It describes the political and physical geography of England being nothing to them, um, and obviously above them, well, I guess it's like Iceland and shit, but, you know, they are the North. Simon also said he references kind of fake news like Project Fear and the lies that were scattered in the press regarding IndyRef and Brexit. You had your choice and you chose to believe it, being a reference to those who could have easily just had bullshit debunked but chose to believe it instead. You know all that money going to the NHS or how Scotland would be completely bankrupt if they were independent. Both kind of clear lies. The second verse kind of tackles the demographic issues with both Brexit and the Indie Ref. Um, It's referenced more heavily in The Champ. Corpses, they're glass-eyed and stuffed with suspicions and constantly muted. They finally found a home. They finally found a home in heaven. I mean, to me, that's a reference to the fact that the biggest supporters of remaining in the UK um, in the Indie Ref were over 65. And the same with Brexit. It's common knowledge that if Brexit would voted on a year later, a large number of the Leave voters would have actually died by 2017, so Remain would have won. So these people voted Leave, or they voted No to remain part of the UK, or part of the, you know, to leave the EU, and then they didn't even live to suffer the repercussions of these votes. I've talked about the lyrics first, but that's because, you know, I was bringing up the themes. We'll go on to the music. Biffy bring back the weird time signatures. It's not that they're not present on Ellipsis, but they open the album with a mixture of 4-4 and 7-8. You know, it does what Psy sets out to do, shows off the fact that Biffy are an angular three-piece rock band. That jarring opening riff, accompanied by the taps on the ride cymbal before the climb up of the bass rings with positivity and the full force of the band kicks in. The jarring riff is interchanged with big chord strikes, once mutating into that single string riffing we found dominated ellipsis, but it's replaced again by that fuller sound. The chords ring out, the drums rumble and tumble before we get a simple count, 
the bass playing the melody as the guitar just picks around a simple chord shape. The vocals are accompanied by static and layered backing vocals in that call and response manner that Biffy loved to use. The pre-chorus brings in some hand claps, the guitar picking speeds up, there's a ringing synth in the background, that rich costy layering, before the chorus is built around that big opening riff. The backing vocals are distant and airy, they, they eventually are used to introduce the second verse, the layering of high and low and distorted and clean vocals, that's incredible. We get another pre-chorus and another chorus. After the second chorus, we get the bridge, which is kind of this slow stomping and clapping, this tambourine type hit, and synthy sweeps, the vocals layered, it's, it's, it's very slow. But then we get another chorus, and then the outro is like a mutated version of the opening. A syncopated, fast, like synth pad hits in the background as the riff has that single string vibe. It slowly moves down the fretboard, almost going out of time with the splashing breakdowny drums. I mean, I'm going to say how I felt before listening to this album a bit more in the Instant History episode, for presumably obvious reasons, but from the moment this song started, I was way more enthusiastic about what I was about to hear, and then by the end of the song, I was in. There are moments that are more under that ellipsis banner, but without, for want of a better word, the bullshit and more of the rock shit. Like Sai said, and I've said a million times on this episode, this feels like Biffy Clyro are a three-piece rock band. They're the three-piece rock band that I fell in love with way before Ellipsis. I will not try and compare to this album to Ellipsis, mainly because it's not even the album that directly precedes it. As I said on the Balance Not Symmetry episodes, I was already buzzing again with my love for Biffy Clyro, but well, you'll hear why I wasn't ready for this album later. Thank you for listening to A Day Of. My name's Simon Dowling. You can follow on Twitter at A Day Off Podcast and you can email adayoffpodcast at gmail.com and please leave reviews on iTunes or wherever if you fancy it. You can also send in voice notes at anchor.fm slash adayoff and you can also find links there to the podcast on all the different platforms. Again, thank you for listening.